Hey there, welcome to Money Never Sleeps, a podcast that looks inside the head of entrepreneurs and at what makes them do what they do. I'm Pete Townsend, your co-host of Money Never Sleeps, along with Owen Fitzgerald. This episode of Money Never Sleeps is kindly sponsored by Ireland's fintech and financial services recruitment specialists, top-tier recruitment. If you or a colleague need help attracting and retaining great talent for your fintech or financial services company, it is highly advisable that you build a relationship with a team at top-tier recruitment. You can find them at toptierrecruitment.com and tell them we sent you. In this episode, Paul Smith and I talked to Sorsha Mulligan, founder of the SME chain, helping businesses figure out what blockchain and distributed ledger technology means to SMEs in the enterprise supply chain space. Given the circles that Sorsha, Paul, and I all travel in, we had quite a bit to talk about. Did someone say blockchain? So let's dive right in to this week's episode of Money Never Sleeps. Here we go again. Welcome to Money Never Sleeps. We're recording today from the offices of our sponsor, Top Tier Recruitment. I'm Pete Townsend. Paul Smith. And Paul is here again. Thank you for coming back on the show, Paul. Owen, this week, again, um, is unfortunately unva- unavailable. But like I've been saying on the last two episodes, when Owen Fitzgerald isn't here, uh, he is off trying to raise money for Irish startups. So that is a good thing. But Paul, we appreciate your uh, introspection and view on all things happening in the world. So thank you uh, for coming back. Um, we're here today with Sorsha Mulligan, founder of the SME chain. Welcome to the show, Sorsha. Thanks, Pete. Thanks, Paul. And thanks for the pronunciation. Spot <laughs> <laughs> on this time. <laughs> Sorsha Mulligan, correct. Finally got it right. Um, shout out to Stevie Mulligan, who I grew up with. Um, oh. So I, it's very easy to say your second name. I got that got that right. Stevie Mulligan um, is a huge YouTube fan. Um, I remember when I was 13, I went to go see the Rattle and Hum movie in the cinemas. Um, and Stevie sat next to me and he sang the whole thing. Um, <laughs> Good so memory. He's, uh, he's he's now living in the U.S., but he's got family from Ireland originally. Uh, his parents were both from Ireland before he moved over. Anyway, long story short, what we're going to do today, um, Sorsha, you and I have been running into each other quite a lot recently um, at different, different mm-hmm. events. Um, I know you from your previous... Um, your previous role out there in the industry with one of the last um, uh, last folks that you were working with, um, but given our conversations and where those have gone over the course of the past year, um, I thought it'd be great just to bring you on the show and kind of dig into that a bit with what you're up to right now and great. what you're doing. Um, so just to get things started, mm-hmm. why don't you give us your backstory, how you got to this point, uh, and what you're up to. Sure. Um, well, great to finally uh, sit down and have these conversations because I guess we started speaking about two years ago yeah. in the fintech sphere. Um, I had been working um, in a self-employed capacity, uh, actually in the fintech space, connecting uh, retired or redundant um, uh, human collateral from the recession uh, with fintechs across Ireland. Um, my Further legacy, I'm a career banker. I worked in London in um, two of the Irish Tier 1 banks, so AIB and Bank of Ireland. Um, my career background is in um, corporate, commercial, treasury banking, um, and then with Barclays Wealth International in London, um, I was in international wealth. So I've had quite an exposure to uh, very large organisations and the financial sphere, uh, very diverse cultural backgrounds, and um, very diverse um product propositions as well as uh, client uh, um, client engagement, relationship building, entrepreneurial um, innovation and incentives in different organizations. Um, I worked in, uh, in London predominantly and during the recession years, my clients were corporate treasurers. 
Yeah. Um, when things were getting a little bit tough, um, my uh, all of my clients were corporate treasurers who had um, corporate treasury policies uh, that uh, a bank had to be uh, A, A minus, uh, double B status uh, minimum in order for them to place cash with me. Um, so that was um, anywhere from one to 10 million of sterling or euro um, in vanilla money market uh, products. Um, but as things deteriorated with Ireland, um, then we had to um, look at other ways of, of maintaining relationships. Uh, so um, I was studying with the Association of Corporate Treasurers. So I was studying from the perspective of my clients. Uh, so getting an insight into how their brains worked and what their challenges were from an operational perspective um, and uh, infiltrating from that perspective. Uh, I wasn't a career accountant. All of my uh, uh, my peer students on the course were um, uh, accountants with maybe 20 years experience yeah. um, and as well had been uh, working in a treasury role for uh, a number of years and they were running multinational organizations and subsidiaries all over the world. Um, and I was uh, a banker selling uh, vanilla products and yeah. really had to throw myself in the deep end. And um, uh, How was that? It was so challenging, but so rewarding. Yeah. And you get to see real people. So it removes that enigma of the um, the title that somebody has and their status. So rather than them being um, a multinational and a group treasure, suddenly you're both flailing about trying to study and, and not fail the next test that's coming up. Yeah. And um, particularly because we did an offsite for a week. And then you really get to know the people behind um, the brands that you're speaking to. Um Relationships grew with some of the, the biggest multinationals, um, brought them back uh, to, it was AIB that I was with at the time, um, onboarded a number of those clients. Um, though because of the recession, triple B status, I was no longer a pro- product partner. I ended up being a, um, a politician yeah. and an economist for the Irish economy. Okay. So it was, um, uh, it was beyond what the skill set was for the job. But the passion and the motivation of supporting your um, your country and your economy and your people and your brand um, and the people that you worked with as well was phenomenal. Um, so I got headhunted into Bank of Ireland mm-hmm. um, and I was set up to run um, the exact same setup as I did in, in AIB. But things just got bleaker and bleaker. And if you had a blank canvas and a new team and you were asked to uh, repeat what you'd done before, yeah. it was just, it was impossible. So um, the bank started to put the treasury and the salespeople into business, um, into lending roles. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't a lender. I wasn't going to sit down and read through reports, etc. cetera. Um, so I had actually been speaking to Barclays before then, and Barclays um, came back to me um, about seven months into my role at Bank of Ireland and said, hey, we, we, we'd love you to, to come on board if, if things have changed for you. Um, uh, during that time, backstory, I'd gone traveling during my uh, garden leave yeah. and I had a taste for uh, scuba diving, yeah. for um, which is, plays a big part in my um, complete change of uh, stake into entrepreneurial um, uh, career focus. Scuba diving did that. Scuba diving, yeah. yeah. No, I've, I've done a bit of that in my day. Yeah. Well, the way it happened, I, I did go to Barclays and I spent a year there and that's where... Um, entrepreneurial sort of really just came to the forefront. Um, where I'd grown up with the Irish banks, it was more of friends, family and community. Going into Barclays, it was, no, you prove your worth. Yeah. You watch your back. 
and you get some really great core people inside this giant organization and um, you build your team across different functions. And it was really powerful. Um, What was the analogy with scuba diving? Yeah, so scuba diving, yes, I do jump. Thank you for bringing me back. No, no, no. Um, But I, while I was having this fantastic time with Barclays and learning so much and growing as a person, all I kept thinking was, I want to go back to scuba diving in Southeast Asia. And yeah. I want to travel more Australia. And I'm 29 and I don't really know what I want to do with yeah. my life. So I'm um, with you. I'm yeah. with you. When, when my wife and I were traveling probably 13 years ago before we got to Ireland, um, the, you know, that day to day kind of what are we where are we going to sleep tonight? Right. Yeah. <laughs> Let, let's find a place just to crash a clean place, hopefully yeah, with some yeah. good pillows um, to crash tonight. Um, and always, a you know, some type of hotel by the time we got to Australia, yeah. at least. Right. Um, but it was always that mentality of, yes, with all of these other things that you have going on to figure out where you're going to lay your head, you still want to enjoy your day. Yeah. Right? You still want to have a good time. So just enjoy the day. Don't worry yeah. too much about where you're going to lay your head at the end of the yeah. day because it will all work out. Right. And just getting back to that mentality of enjoy your day and trying to bring that into the professional mm. world. Right. Trying to find that crossover point is really hard. But what if you've never had that? You know, and it's never been instilled you into get you. It. Yeah. Exactly. So when you're in in my lifetime, and I think this is something that I'd like to touch on a bit later on as well, is that our parents' generation, my parents both come from SMEs, one a multinational, one a micro business in a very rural community. Um, and we were all encouraged as children to work for multinationals. Um, this is where you're going to be safe. This is where you're going to have pensions. Um, so we all did that. Yeah, every single job one. In the bank. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. Um, myself and my sister went straight into banking. My sister's still in investment banking. Um, my brother works for one of the GAFA. Another works for um, uh, in the UAE for uh, a government um, think tank. So we all did what we were encouraged to do. I. I moved overseas when I was 19. Um, But what we were told to do and encouraged to do was study, work hard, progress, get up the the ivory ladder. And I felt that I achieved everything in my career that I wanted to when I was 29 and I wasn't satisfied. So when I said to Barclays, um, listen, thank you so much for everything you've done here, but I, I feel like I need to do more and maybe come back. And uh, they were so encouraging about it. They just said, never regret anything. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, and I'm still in contact with the management team and a lot of the, the team that I built up across the group there, who actually happened to be in fintech at the moment. But the reason I got into scuba diving is because I was absolutely petrified of water. Yeah. I was terrified of sharks. I'd seen Jaws when I was a kid. And I thought, I need to get over this. So what is the best way to get over this? I learn how to do absolutely everything myself so that if something ever happens down there that I can rely on myself rather than having to be terrified and get somebody to clean my mask or, yeah. you know, fix my buoyancy or whatever. Um, and it took me um, across eight different Southeast Asian countries, including wow. Thailand, Malaysia, Indonesia, East Timor, which was phenomenal. Um, the Philippines, uh, Singapore, yeah. uh, you mentioned the Philippines. And I got to experience all these different cultures and all these different people who were so satisfied by minimalistic yeah. life. Get through your culture. day. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it was just, it was very interesting. But I was a freelancer at this stage. So I was um, accountable for my P&L all yeah. day, every day. Yeah. You know, and this is the first time that I'd really 
done that, that I was, that I didn't have a wage coming in every month, that I had to go and find people that were willing to take me on um, and also to um, trust me to look after the people's lives that I had on their boat that day. Um, I also got involved in um, conservation work um, for uh, NGOs and supporting the conservation of coral reefs and um, shark finning, whales, dolphins, manta rays. Um, but then, you know, that's an 18 month period. Um, AIB had contacted me during that period and said, um, oh, hey, what are you doing? A lot's happened since the recession. We're back open for business. Um, we want to, we want you back as a business developer. So, um, after another three months, I asked them very politely to wait, which they did. Yeah. Uh, I went back and, um, uh, my objective was to uh, completely move away from property and, um, public sector and all of that. Um, and I did that uh, for about another year and a half. Yeah. And then I decided it's time to move back to Ireland. Um, I did go back to Asia for another two months. Yeah, good. Yeah. More uh, scuba diving. Absolutely. And more freelancing yeah. on the um, uh, more freelancing for myself. Um, and I when I got back to Ireland, I didn't really know the landscape. I didn't have a network. Um, and the I went to two or three different recruiters to um, register, and all of them offered me a job to become a financial services um, recruitment recruitment um, consultant. So I chose the. T- I, I thought, what have I got? Sales. I've got personality. I've got um, uh, financial services background, and you know, I'm a risk taker. Why not? You know, yeah. let's do this. So I did that very successfully for a year and a half for a firm. I chose them because they were very well established in healthcare um, and in um, uh, yeah in, in healthcare Rather and hospitals and doctors. Yeah, there was no finance. So um, no finance, no professional services, no legal. So I set all of that up. Yeah. Um, and then after a year and a half, I thought, why am I filling somebody else's pockets when I could be doing this for myself? Yeah. So. All of that led to me having the confidence in myself to go out there. What I found um, when I was checking inside the windows of all of the organizations in Ireland, you know, this is from the capital markets all the way down to corporate commercial finance um, into the SME uh, lending sphere, which was absolutely booming. And I was very successful in placing people there, um, a lot of whom are still in their jobs today. So I feel like I identified the right people Mm -hmm. and characteristics, um, even if they didn't look um, immediately like they would fit the bill. But that's all down to perspective. Um, Then I found the growing uh, fintech sphere. And in the uh, the fintech space, there was a lot of um, propositions out there and tech platforms that didn't have the commercial acumen. Mm -hmm. So as I mentioned at the beginning, um, I uh, was matching talent that had retired or who were on voluntary severance um, and didn't really know what fintech was um, and, you know, making a connection that way, which was was really fulfilling for both sides because those people didn't know what they wanted to do next. Um, And this is when I found Invoice Fair, who I was working for last. Um, So um, in comparison to the other lenders in the fintech space, um, uh, you know, they maybe turned over um, or lended out uh, about uh, 80 million, something like that. Whereas you get to this capital markets platform that's already funded 200 million in the Irish economy, which just seemed phenomenal in comparison to others. Um, so I started consulting with them and they actually counterpitched me um, across the table, which tends to happen to me quite a lot. Yeah. Um, 
and that I was introducing what I could do uh, to, to get more people on board in their business, build the teams. And they said, well, you know, would you consider it yourself? And um, so I still had a, a number of other clients that I was working with. So for six months, um, I worked part time with them. Uh, and then uh, after that six months, they'd been asking me to come in full time, um, qu- quickly creeping up to 300 million, 350 million. Um, it was very exciting. I got to bring the brand overseas to the UK in particular, yep. Northern Ireland. Um, so difficult markets to get into. But everybody that I spoke to, it was something completely different to what they had on the ground available for their SMEs. Um, so um, when I started on in the fintech scene back in 2016, I came across blockchain technology. Yeah. And... Um, uh, how? How? Um, I wanted to learn how to code because I had no idea how to do that. No, I still haven't learned yeah. how to code. Um, but what I, I came across code poetry and how to learn this technology as a language and treat it like a language rather than um, sophisticated mathematics, which kind of terrified me. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, I found this online course, uh, Princeton University. Um, blockchain uh, for software developers. I thought, well, you know, why not? I'll, I'll get the framework about it, learn about Merkle trees, all that cool yeah. stuff. And um, what I started to find out were the business cases behind it and not just the cryptocurrency side, because I haven't focused on that whatsoever. Um, Bitcoin doesn't come up in conversation with me at all. Um, it's the underlying technology um, and its capabilities. So the plumbing, um, as it's been yeah. mentioned in the past. Yeah. Um, or the vehicle for, for these technologies. So um, I yeah, w- was, was studying that since 2016. And then while working in the real world, figuring out, I want to be involved in this in the future. So how do I apply what I've learned to my daily job? Yeah. You know, and where will it fit in eventually? Um, I could see that um, through 2017 and 2018 in particular, that um, multinationals had started to, to form consortium. Yep. And they were testing it particularly in the supply chain side um, and as proof of concepts in trade finance and supply chain finance. Um, while I was working with SMEs in the supply chain of multinationals, I was therefore thinking, okay, so all of these SMEs who have quite low tech sophistication are uh, plugged into ERP systems of multinationals. Yep. Uh, and at some stage... Um, these multinationals who are in consortium are going to turn around to the SME and say, hey, you guys, you're going to need to upgrade or invest in your technology in order to remain on our preferred supplier list. And then I thought, Eureka, okay, this is something that I can go and focus on. So that started in February of this year. And then I spoke to Invoice Fair about my um, underlying passion to progress with this um, and see where it would take me. And then in July... Um, I finished up and went out on my own since August. Um, So much research I've undertaken in the past few months has taken me on multiple rabbit holes. I think anybody who's in the sphere. Yeah, you're doing a lot. And I I mean, uh, Sorja, you're quite active on LinkedIn in terms of sharing all this stuff. And I see how you become an expert at tagging. Right. And saying that, listen, you get these these uh, keywords in there, you get uh, certain people tagged in there and people will naturally come back to you yeah, on this. Right. Which, which is pretty cool. I really like kind of 
you know, your uh, walking, how you walked through your experience there and what you had done before this point in terms, you can kind of see it all bubbling up, Mm. right? And the, you know, the different experiences before the financial crisis, going into the financial crisis, after the financial crisis, um, moving from, um, you know, uh, having these conversations with, uh, with corporates to having the conversations with SMEs, I'm sure all of that experience, you said it a couple of minutes ago, led to a degree of confidence um, for you to do your own thing. Is that kind of the case that, listen, the more and more conversations you have, the more experiences that you kind of have poured into you through others that, um, you know, uh, that have experienced things that kind of builds your own relational database mm. nearly mm. of experiences? That's a that- good way of looking at it, Pete, because it's conversations. Uh, that's how I learn. Um, I learn about what's what's real and happening in the context around it. Um, the statistics that I'm finding in the background that I'm plugging in every other post now and then just to yeah. see who's picking it up and, and the traction I get behind it. Because the number one thing uh, f- at the moment for evolving technology is inclusivity, mm-hmm. technical inclu- technology inclusivity. So we have financial inclusivity, which people are working on at the moment. Um, and the, my previous employer, Invoice Fair, and a lot of fintechs um, and decentralized Uh, platforms are working on uh, how they can include more um, individuals unbanked as well as SMEs who aren't so technically sophisticated um, in financial. But the technology inclusivity is is it's important and i find that in sme ireland at the moment and i shared some statistics with you and i i posted them on linkedin and and i'd be interested in other people's feedback and 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 what they're seeing out there um in the field but what i found um from an an oecd report in uh, march of this year was that uh, smes in ireland are lagging behind other nation states when it comes to uh, financial technology, sophistication and exports, Mm -hmm. uh, which is disappointing to hear um, because we have uh, such good news stories getting out there and such uh, an evolved um, and um, uh, hardworking culture. Um, And on the MNC side, then we're the second largest in the world for exports of ICT services. Mm -hmm. So then looking inward, why is there an imbalance? Um, And surely there must be something that we can do in order to to plug that that gap. Um, It's interesting because the Boston Consulting Group in 2013 did a research research document um, that was published um, mentioning a number of OECD states again, um, and how technology leaders, SME technology leader states, um, uh, benefited the economy from um, exports, um, growth in revenue, growth in employees. Um, and, you know, that report was back in 27, uh, 2013, and it was because of the growth in, um, in cloud technology. Now we're in 2019, and we're looking at the next wave of technology coming along, and it's coming along fast. And that means that the technology divide, you know, if it's not addressed, that's going to widen even further. It will. Is there a certain case to be made for Ireland, though, with all this, Orsha, that 
um, we're kind of in the Goldilocks zone, right? Of yeah. 5 million people in yeah. this country with a market that is pretty condensed. Yeah. Um, and geographically, you know, you can get from one side of the country to the other in less mm. than two hours. Yeah. Um, that we've got a big enough market here for SMEs to, you know, build a business, have a comfortable lifestyle, mm. um, and not do much else mm. with it, right? And, and, um, the fact that they've been able to get their businesses to the size they've been able to get them to is impressive. Mm-hmm. Um, but is there a kind of reticence to go to that next level um, and a risk-taking appetite that mm-hmm. you know is uh, um, you know because just because of it's a small market, it's five yeah. million people. Paul's looking at me. Um, what, what do you think, Paul? You, you've corrected me in the past on some of my perceptions around Ireland and Irish culture with some of this. Yeah, I, I'm not sure. Um, I think there's an issue around funding, yeah. definitely, for Irish SMEs. Uh, and if you look at some of the, just thinking of some of the clients we've worked with that have set up here because of Brexit, that have been in that fintech category. Yeah. <laughs> you know, pre-series A rounds even are, are multiples of what Irish companies would get. Yeah. So I think there is a funding issue. I think there's, I think there is something about... Even though the world is more connected with Skype and Zoom and VCs and, you know, it's easy to get a flight anywhere from Dublin, uh, if you're not based in country, it can be hard to penetrate a country. Yeah. Uh, I'm interested to see what your experience mm. was in that actually with, with Invoiceware, with others. Yeah. Um, but I, I think there is kind of a barrier around that. Um, and I don't know, you know, if, if, you, if you get a decent percentage of the Irish market, it's not a decent percentage of any other market. Yeah. You're going to the UK with... I don't know, half a million users or whatever. Half a million is nothing. Yeah, yeah. I think there's a point around that as well, though. We had the brain drain back in the, um, you know, 2005, 2008 era where all of Generation Immigration flocked off um, with all of their um, experience, great educations, mm-hmm. um, some of, you know, the Irish Ivy Leagues. And um, now I'm seeing that, a lot of the startups are incentivized to export fast scale, go into other markets. Um, and then the Irish SMEs aren't getting the benefit of the startups um, and, and the products and services that they're, they're developing. I mean, I've been speaking with some of the uh, university um, innovation campuses Um, in other countries and not yet Ireland but in other countries that would see a very similar um, a similar landscape that Mm -hmm. there is a bit of a a technology gap Um, but I think if if incentives were there for um, for startups to uh, to really serve the I mean it's it's 70% of the economy are are SMEs and according to the CSO in 2014 92.4 92.4 of those are micro businesses and micro businesses less than 2 million turnover. Yeah. You know, that's a, it's a huge amount. And, it, you know, a fraction of those will be at the 2 million scale. And then below that, um, it's a lot of the services business. Like my, you know, I said, my dad's a micro business in the, in the Midlands. Um, there's a, an infrastructure issue that's still ongoing. Um, we only got plugged into, um, into broadband in September, 2019. Yeah, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah, and yeah. so that's not an isolated okay. situation. Um, but I think for uh, I'd love to see more focus on Irish SMEs rather than just the startups trailblazing and the um, the multinationals. Um, you know, these are the people that are growing our communities and the smaller businesses as well. Um, so some good media shout outs to 
to that segment of the market. Absolutely. I wonder, is there kind of a thing around, you know, Irish people need to own land or own a house? Yeah. And I think there's a piece around giving away a bit of your business as well. You know, yeah. if, if you've built it to a stage mm. where you're looking at bringing equity on or looking at bringing it to the next level and equity is what you need to do, I think a lot of Irish people are afraid of that. They don't want to do it. Yeah, and I think as well that there is, if, you, if you're thinking from a lending perspective, that the banks that they need collateral, um, either be that through um, bricks and mortar or um, receivables, mm. um, that it doesn't necessarily need to be, um, you know, it's the opportunity cost and the opportunity lost. And other economies have done that very well, like Germany in particular. A model was... Um, um, was outlined by the OECD uh, along with four other, uh, three others, four in total, um, highlighting the impact of um, how the banks um, lent uh, to scaling SMEs without any collateral, so incentivized lending. Um, so to see that in action would be really great. Um, but not all companies want to scale. Yeah. They don't want to be, and, and that's brilliant. But they also need technology in order they to remain relevant. Mm-hmm. And it just opens up the opportunity um, for other business models that they may never have even considered before. Mm-hmm. And that's the point that I'd like to see raised out there, that it's not um, a bottom line cost, it's a future opportunity. And also if there's a succession issue in a business where the um, the founders of the business are aging and they don't have any family in Ireland, which is, uh, you know, a big thing, um, or who are interested in taking over the business, that if there's maybe technology involved, that it could it could open up other avenues. Absolutely. I, Sorsha, when you and I first had uh, a conversation, a, a more detailed conversation about what you're up to, uh, probably about a year ago, mm-hmm. you know, I really got the impression that you were kind of driving all over the country, yeah. um, going to talk to as many SMEs as yeah. possible as you could about value proposition in yeah. the business that you're working for at the time with Invoice Fair, um, and just talking to SMEs about the benefits of um, receivable-based lending, mm-hmm. right? Or or using the assets on your balance sheet to grow, yeah. right? Um, and there was you know, uh, so much of that space now with mm. where blockchain and distributed ledger technologies are going mm. um, is really, and I think this is your point, are really around, well, this ability to use your assets Mm -hmm. to um, get some financing and get some funding um, is really going to become dependent upon how willing are you to demonstrate that these assets that you say you have, actually you do have, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And what is that trust, Mm -hmm. right? And that distributed trust, and that's where distributed ledger technologies and blockchain come to play. Um, How did you figure that out? What was your kind of single learning point of, okay, listen, you know, I've got this great experience here going out to talk to all this SMEs. You've done your blockchain course, right? Multiple. Was, we, we, I've done about six. Yeah. What, was there kind of a crystallization point that said, oh, wait a minute, this is how I'm going to do it? I think education is pivotal and it's so difficult to find a, a course in a university or... Um, a training course for a couple of days to that that you know you'd spend five or six grand on minimum mm-hmm. minimum you mm-hmm. know it's very expensive yep. uh, and then I found Coursera and multiple courses yeah. on there and then I was um I was six week courses I was condensing into a weekend at a time okay through the summer and so I was binge learning yeah I really was it was the Netflix of education um and it was learning from different perspectives as well like the 
um, uh, the New York Institute of Finance versus um, the Tavistocks over in Canada and their perspective of decentralized versus the US and their um, centralized uh, mentality of working with the banks. Uh, and then uh, I did some of Consensus's course yeah. um, on Ethereum. Um, uh, but there's, the, I did a supply chain course as well. And then once you get enough of the today real-time info and start to apply it to some of my own experience, then I started to really get into the academia and the white papers and the research papers. Um, and then all of it starts to come together. Yeah, it does. And, and then what you need to do or what I needed to do was then get out into the market and start to talk to uh, some of the players. So, in fact, they were coming to me through LinkedIn posts. I was um, in a very unique position that um, I had understood the um, um, the opportunity that uh, reverse marketing um, yep. can offer. By all I have to do is send out posts, um, making sure that the people that wrote them were copied into them. You know that they'd written some great contact and fact checking. Okay, to the nth as well, um, and then I'd get a lot of inbound. Um, uh, request to, to, to align on projects yep. and for in, insight, information share. Um, and that got me into the enterprise space. So um, selling um, to treasurers again, yep. actually, yep. for um, TMS, Treasury Management System uh, propositions to um, open up the supplier uh, channels across a, a global institution, or a global multinational um, uh for intercompany lending, let's say, and then another on the supply chain side with a US based, um, a US based client, and then on the, the, those very established businesses, and then on the um, the, the evolving space where they didn't yet have uh, pilot clients, um, the platforms trying to decide how do they uh, enlist a test pilot SME. And my question was always, well, what is it in it, in it for them? Because um, yeah. the EU is giving away PhD researchers for free to SMEs to take on board for a year. They'll pay all of their um, their wages. So uh, in order for them to undertake a project, and it's, it could be in technology, it could be involving technology and how it would impact the business. So if they can't get those researchers into an SME, then why would um, a company pay for uh, to be a guinea pig. Yeah. You know, there's a yeah. lot to risk. It's different if you're in a multinational and you've got an innovation center and you can bring academia and everybody in. You've got the time and resources to do that. Uh, but if you're an SME and every day is, you know, bottom line every day, then it's it's difficult to get that um, to get that moving. So I think that there's incentives for that as well. R&D tax credits are good for it, maybe to simplify them down. Um but technology partners as well, like second in the world for ICT export service, uh, services exports. So if we could turn some of that around um, into the Irish economy to those smaller businesses, um, maybe get an IT researcher, um, well, not a researcher, a qualified IT uh, consultant to go in-house into a segment of SMEs um, and advise them on, on what they could do. And is that your mission with the SME chain? It's one of my missions. Okay. Yes. Okay. <laughs> yeah. O- overall, what what is the vision with the SME chain? Um, where do you, where do you want this business to get to? So it is technology technology inclusivity is yeah. the priority. That's the mission. Um, it is 
working selectively with companies that um, need guidance um, or that need to be plugged into investors or other platforms for joint venture um, programs, um, academia uh, and um, yep. Yeah, Other no, partners. I get that. I get that. Yeah. You, make, you make a very so, good point by saying that, you know, when it's a big corporate thinking about its next wave of yeah. business model and how technology plays an increasingly important role in mm. that because of how much distributed systems can now provide to mm. a business and, a, and an ecosystem of your mm-hmm. customers and suppliers. Um, when you think about a small business trying to do the same thing, mm. um, they're placing a great amount of trust on people external to their business mm. to be able to share with them how they should do that and Mm -hmm. how do you actually just embrace that and bring that all in Um, you need a certain type of like you said knowledge and and experience in the area to be able to um to advise these folks um it's not easy no um when was a moment where you were like okay listen this this is actually doable i'm going to be able to pull this off uh february this year yeah um when i start no that's unfair to say so I, I really started to embed into my head in February that I need to do this. I will do this. There is a gap in the market yep. here. And we sp- talked we about did. this, that nobody else is talking about this from the SME's perspective. And again, this is the knowledge um, barrier that the consortia have been formed for the last three or four years, even before that. Some go back to 2012, 2013. And so when this is all completely manufactured and ready in the in the multinational sphere, then they turn around to the SMEs who just have to react. Like in um, when 3D printing first came out uh, and the uh, uh, the hearing manufacturing um, hearing aid manufacturing companies um, were mandated from procurement across the world um, to adopt the 3D printing technology to their manufacturing or to be or they'd be dropped from the supply chain. And that was a real moment for me to think, okay, well, where are we in day 500 mm-hmm. of the evolution yeah. of this technology and who is going to be impacted first? And from what I could see, it was potentially SMEs and the supply chain of multinationals, particularly those that didn't have an ERP system. Now, going back to the OECD report um, and the, the actual logistics of that um, report, um, tw- 28% of the 70% of our Irish economy, SME economy, um, 28% of an ERP system, so mm-hmm. enterprise resource planning. So AP, AIP, um, API enabled yep. um, to plug into the supply chain mm-hmm. um, procurement uh, software in order for them to continue to trade and, and win tenders, etc. Um, only 12% have a supply chain management, 12%. So again, it's that technology inclusivity. Yeah. Um, if we're it. not talking to the SMEs about what they need to be investing in, they're going to be left behind. Yeah. Yeah, they will. We can't compete. They will. Um, thinking about your successes in these areas, Sorsha, mm-hmm. um, what do you think are some of the personality traits of your own that have been helpful to you in getting to this point? Thick skin, not yeah. afraid to take risks, and I think that always goes back to. Um, sitting in London during the worst days of the recession, client-facing, speaking with treasurers, being laughed at on the phone. Yeah. Laughed at. It was awful. And all you could do was put down the phone and just turn around, okay, 
what what can we do you know um now some you could still have some really great relationships with clients but if you were going out for a new no it was just a waste of time yeah so the thick skin um absolutely no fear in taking a risk uh, and I think going traveling really did get that um, ingrained in me, um, having absolutely no regrets, um, put myself in uncomfortable positions, such yeah. as the podcast today. Yeah. That was a big one for me, in honesty. We, we talked a couple of weeks ago about always putting yourself in positions that you're completely unqualified for. Yeah. Right? And, <laughs> Thanks and for that, Pete. No, 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 not you. <laughs> not you. I mean me. I've always, I've always strived myself to put myself into situations that I'm completely yeah. unqualified for. And we had Eddie Dillon on from Credit Logic, and he was talking about, you know, how he had kind of went through his career. Yeah. Um, and that sometimes you can just get in there and sell something yeah. without really having a strong technical understanding of it. Um, yeah. And then after the fact, go off and get that strong technical understanding yeah. of it and come back, and you're going to tell the story a lot better. Mm. Not just because you've learned about it, because you've already, but because you've already sold it once, mm. right? Uh, and maybe you know tried to sell it and failed and, yeah. and had an important learning experience there. But if you can't fail, you're exactly. never going to grow. Yeah. yeah. You have to be able to accept. I accept to myself that I will fail at certain things and then I'll up, you know, put one foot in front of the other, breathe, keep going, keep moving. Because um, the only thing that scares me is never trying. Yeah. And if I don't try, then... I don't make a change to myself um, and I don't impact the mission that I feel that I'm on. Yeah. And hopefully that, and as long as I have purpose and I'm influencing positive change without greed, then I'm happy in the objectives that I'm setting myself. So you're not a fan of Gordon Gecko then? <laughs> <laughs> hey, listen, it was good to read, right? <laughs> or, or watch indeed. When, when you talk about um, fear of failure, yeah. <clears throat> it's one of the things I see an awful lot on the coaching side of our business. Yeah. Um, and it's, it sounds easy to say, you know, mm. get over it, oh, it's going to happen. You have yeah. to get, but how do you do that? Is that something you were born with? Is it an innate kind of quality that you have? Or? It's an intention. Mm. So I, the reason I went scuba diving was because absolutely terrified of water. And uh, for the first three days of the course, it usually takes two. It took three with me. And I had an ex-army um, uh, an ex-army official who was my instructor. And he said, you're going to break me. <laughs> yeah. And I, it, he, was, he was brilliant in honesty. And he just said, you can do this. Why do you make it so difficult for yourself? And then that was all of the, the fears and the insecurities and... Um, uh, and the lack of confidence from, you know, years of, of being in uh, in rooms where I felt that maybe I wasn't good enough, mm. you know. And I think that that's financial services, it's banking. It was a, it's, it's yeah. certainly a woman in business development in the years that I was in London. I was um, always one of very few women in the room. Mm. Um, so all of that and, and just why should I be able to do this or why am I worthy? Um, so I... Every day I do something that scares me. Mm. What, what? Yeah. yeah. And that, do you know what? I'm okay. Mm. Nobody yeah. died. Yeah. And, well, that's great. So just keep going rather than stagnate. Yeah. It's, it's interesting, though, from an entrepreneurial perspective. Yeah. <clears throat> you talked about uh, it being potentially a trace in financial services or in women. Mm. It's that kind of 
I don't know if I'm good enough to be here or whatever. Yeah. Um, we talked imposter about this. Imposter syndrome. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, imposter I syndrome actually, sucks. That's yeah. a driver. Yeah. Do you guys feel that too? Did totally. You know that? Oh, big time. Okay. I think it's a lot more common than people even talk about. Yeah. Um, and it's that thing that drives you. Yeah. It's like, I'm not good yeah. enough to be here, so I need to be better. I need yeah. to be better. I need to do more. I yeah. need to do more. Yeah. I mean, I, I've, I've, been a student of VC, I've been a student of VC for the last three years mm. and trying to figure out the right strategy to become an investor, right? And sure. I've had three experiences over the last three years that have gone in certain directions. Um, and I was at the Irish Venture Capital Association dinner uh, last month for the first time. All tucked up. Guess no, it was actually it was actually casual. Well, business business casual. Guess who felt like an imposter in the room? Yeah, yours truly. No, uh, yeah, totally. Um, I had some great conversations, but I'm like, yeah. and I've seen some of these folks around town, and I've had chats with them, had a couple even on the show, but it was still, you know, because the biggest check I've ever written was the six figure check to get me out of a bad mortgage, right? Um, oh. That I need, you know, that there's still that syndrome. Now, had a conversation with somebody the other day around, um, you know, around their fund and their their venture capital strategy mm-hmm. and where they're going. And I'm like, I'm kind of on the other side, it felt like now mm-hmm. that I'm actually helping them try to make some decisions yeah. about their own risk appetite. And what are they going to do with something? I'm like, geez, this is OK. We're, we're turning the corner now. Mm-hmm. Um, have you had any of those experiences tell me about imposter syndrome as something that could be oh imposter syndrome it's always there it's always that little gremlin bubbling yeah regardless where you are and what you're doing um who am i to think that i have and it's an irish come on it's it's something that we've grown up with Mm. um don't get above your station yeah exact notions no notions um and i think you know anytime i go to a conference Dev conferences, okay, in the blockchain sphere, um, that's where I feel very uncomfortable in the development world because I'm a sales snake as yeah. far as they're concerned. But I do also think, well, how do you think your technology is going to see the light of day unless you've got somebody who can commercially communicate it Big to time. your intended audience? Yeah. Um, so we have interesting conversations there. But, um, yeah, like these... Guys and gals are so incredibly um, technically uh, fantastic at what they do. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of them are really down to earth and you can have a conversation over coffee. And then others may say, oh, well, who are you and what do you do? It's like, well, well, that's not a job. You know, you yeah. know what do you think you're you. doing here? So, but then it's great that people have the ability to say something in to you know in the millennium sphere rather than just go off and maybe say it behind your back you know because it's something that you can address there and then um and get into a a deeper conversation but somebody told me recently um on the startups um sphere uh alistair cameron from starticus uh, he was involved in um startup week Mm -hmm. a couple weeks back and he said that he's from um i think it's manchester in the uk and when he moved over to northern ireland um, to set up his um, marketing and, and startup um, business, uh, he was told by somebody in, in a networking room, um, well, who do you think you are to think that you can do that? And it has just stuck with me for weeks since because I think that's what I would say to myself. And imagine he- hearing yeah. somebody in a room say that back to you and then just go, well, do you know what? I'm going to bloody show you. Yeah. And that's, that's where you source your energy. That's the fuel to your fire. Keep going. Mm. Keep going. So shout out to Alistair Cameron there. Uh. Absolutely. <laughs> I love that. I love that. 
All right. Well, we have uh, we've covered a lot. Um, what if Owen were here, he'd ask his question, his favorite question of the entire uh, conversation, which is what would be one thing that people wouldn't expect to know about Sorsha Mulligan? Well, we went through a lot there. I think it's the shark conservation um, element. You know, there has been and this is media portrayal and Hollywood um, portrayal as well that there's a common theme there here for as well for the media. I mean, don't get me started on that. Uh, no accountability for false um, false portrayal of, of, of what's happening out there. But um, shark, the shark finning industry in particular, um, when I was out in uh, NGOs across, across Southeast Asia, um, contributing towards um, uh, mapping the sharks, the different um, species in the ecosystem and the decline over a period of time, uh, and also going to fisheries and seeing a lot of um, finned beautiful animals just it's, uh, terrible. Yeah. It, it's you know hun- hundreds of millions every year you know they are the dogs of the ocean and if you could imagine doing that to a dog you know to take away their limbs and just leave them there to to die it's 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 pretty horrific um and i just think being conscious of um the restaurants that we eat in what's on the menu if you see something like um shark fin soup on a menu anywhere you go in the world make a point of closing the menu getting up out of your seat and walking out the door and telling the waiters why you've left. Yeah. I think that if everybody could do that um, about anything that they're um, they're passionate about, you know, make a stand and let people know. Um, my brothers uh, recently did that in a restaurant um, when they were in Japan. And I was so proud of them. So proud. Um, but they made a point and it was because of, of what I told them over the years. Uh, yeah, so no, that's, one person can make a difference. You can, you can. And, it, and not to make light of this at all, but it reminds me of the time I was in a gas station, sorry, petrol station um, uh, a month ago. And there was someone in the in the shop and they had a, a, a stand set up selling vaping products. Right. Um, and I had just heard, you know, whatever, whatever I had heard, just heard about them recently. But um, on the way out, they said to me, would you like, you know, and, and wow. I, I said, those things kill people. Yeah. And they're like, no, we just, we're offering you a pen. Would you like a pen? <laughs> <laughs> Pens can kill people. Pen is mightier than the sword. Yes, Dinch. very okay. good. Sorsha, thank you so much for coming thank on the you. show. It's been great having you here. It's an incredible story. Um, and best of luck making this all happen. It needs to thank happen. Money never sleeps, pal. That does it for this week, folks. And thanks to Sorsha for opening up her mind to help us figure out why she does what she does. Links and show notes for this episode are on moneyneversleeps.ie, so check us out online. Remember, if you or a colleague need help attracting or retaining great talent for your fintech or financial services company, it is highly advisable that you build a relationship with the team at Top Tier Recruitment as they really know their stuff. You can find them at toptierrecruitment.com. Also, thanks to Conan Brophy from Create Sound for editing and recording this podcast. As for me, I increase the odds of startup success. Get in touch through the contact page on norioventures.com. And you can follow Owen on Twitter at Owen Fitzgerald9. Finally, till next time, thanks for listening. See ya.